The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. everybody to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 38. Going to go over some recent news, some universal DH talk, and much, much more to get you ready for hopefully an upcoming season. You can find me on Twitter at BDentric and my co-host, as always, on this endeavor on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Toby, how are we doing, man? We're doing well, Bubba. I'm, um, I was talking to you before the show started, and I've got a new, some new headphones on. They're like, they go over my ears. So they're not like Apple iPhone headphones. So we'll see. I'm still it's still a mixed bag how I'm feeling right now. I'm curious to see how it goes. I've always just had the uh, the little earbuds, and for me, that's all I've ever used. So um, I'm curious to see how the uh, the whole headset goes for you on that one. Maybe we'll uh, have to convert me at some point in time. But I'll let you be the guinea pig. On <laughs> I, this I don't know. So so far, I just can't like hear my own voice, which is such a frightening thing for me. I love my voice so much. <laughs> well, we'll have a. We'll see how it goes through the rest of this. But like I said, we'll do some recent news real quick before we get into it, as there's hopefully news of a season coming up here pretty soon, which would be nice. But um, Rich Hill, we talked about him before in the ADP risers. He's been jumping up like crazy because everyone suspected he'd be ready to go for the start of the season if it was in July. And he came out and said that he's going to be ready to go. He's been doing uh, bullpen side sessions. His rehab is right where he wants to be. Um, basically once they give him the okay, he'll be really stretching it out and he has no, he does not expect anything to set him back come regular season. I know we were both pretty excited about the fact we could get Rich Hill, even though there's always a chance of blisters and everything else, but hearing him say that again, players can kind of just, you know, talk themselves up at times. Do you have any uh, thoughts on hearing Rich Hill say it? Does it make you want to take him more or less or overall thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I feel like we kind of know what we're getting with Rich Hill. If he pitches, uh, we have no reason to believe that he's not going to be very good, I don't think. 
um, just because he's been so consistent. I think we talked about it last week. He's been so consistent when he's been healthy and the health is the big issue. And so when you do draft him, you are certainly drafting um, some risk. Uh, but, you know, he's going pretty far down so that the the risk reward proposition is, you know, a, uh, I, I don't know if it's a it's a great one. I mean, I guess a good comp would be like, do you, would you rather have Rich Hill or Alex Wood? Because right now they're going, if I remember correctly, like in fairly similar positions. And so, you know, it's just, um, it's something that you'll have to think through, but I, I think Rich Hill isn't a bad, a bad pick where he's going right now. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of Rich Hill going around pick 274. Alex Wood is going around pick 245. So he's got quite the jump up on him in that respect, a couple of rounds, but uh, yeah, both, both that later part of the draft, something to think about there. Um, I, I'm all in for Rich Hill. If he's healthy, I'm good at that point. He's your you know, fourth or fifth pitcher, maybe sixth pitcher off the board, depending on how you draft. That's a pretty solid guy. When he's uh, healthy on the mound, he can give you a massive starting pitching upside. So no problems there. Let's go to the Yankees outfield. It's been some murky water here. Aaron Judge continues to get uh, slow updates and more MRIs. It's a it's a muscle thing, so it's going to you know heal very, muscle and cartilage and all that stuff. It's going to be healing really, really weird. Like he's, it's a good thing for him that he's not playing right away to let it slow heal. He's not forcing something, but at any time the way he swings and stuff, it could get very rough. Aaron Hicks, on the other hand, he um, had surgery last October from uh, Tommy John surgery. Everything's going well there. He started taking live batting practice. He's throwing the ball in the outfield, playing catch with people. He expects to be ready if not at the start of the season, quickly thereafter. We know it's a crowded outfield in New York. Uh, what's your thoughts on the situation that, you know, back in March, it seemed like there was a chance for a lot of guys to, to get an upper hand here, and now it's a lot potentially healthier than it used to be? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not super interested in, in Hicks. Um, I think Talkman is the guy who really interests me with um, – with Judge and the injury, uh, obviously Alex Chamberlain is a fan, so we've got to talk him up here on the uh, on the podcast. But um, in all seriousness, I think Talkman has the skills to succeed. I think the problem with Hicks for me is, you know, I, I liked him uh, at the beginning of last year. It seems like so long ago, uh, or even two years ago, really, like the 2018 season. Um, you know, because of the value, because of the speed, because of the power, because of the plate discipline. But he's now a year older, right? He's almost 31. So I'm not quite sure the speed is going to be there. Only one stolen base last year and 255 plate appearances. And that was really the thing that was interesting for me was the power-speed combo because the batting average has never been a carrying stat for him. So I'm not super interested in Hicks. I'd rather he just uh, – well, no, I'm, I won't say that. But uh, I'm not going to wish anybody injury. But I, I think Talkman – can hold his own, a very similar player to Hicks, a younger player, uh, more speed. Um, and so uh, I think I think he can hold his own. And, and he would be the guy out of all of those um, Yankees outfielders, I think, that I would want uh, to target just from a value perspective. Yeah, Talkman is definitely one who's going much, much later in drafts that I have no problem taking a gamble on from the power and everything. A guy that I always talk about, people tell me I'm crazy, but – Eventually it'll it'll end, but he keeps producing. Is Brett Gardner? He keeps playing. He keeps running, hitting homers. He steals. He's not going to hit homers like he did last year. Last year was heavy bouncy ball inflated, heavy pull pull home home runs inflated as well. Um, a regular season, he can still get you ten to fifteen. And he's going to steal you double digit bags. 
So um, it's a it's a nice luxury to have later in the draft with a guy like Brett Gardner who's going to somehow always find at bats out there with Judge Hurt with Hicks maybe off and on. You know, Stanton's always a mess. Who knows what else is going on in the outfield? I do like the Talkman call. I think there's a lot of potential there with with the uh, Talkman. But Gardner is another guy that I, I find myself flocking to. A lot of guys wanted Andy Hart to get the job there. He reports are he's healthy, but I just don't know where he's going to stay uh, with the other guys starting to get healthy in the outfield as well. So Talkman and um, Gardner would be the guys I'd be looking at with the Yankees, and they're both nice values laid on a very, very good offense that uh, should produce quite well against some of those Eastern Division foes. Let's go to the Cardinals. Miles Mikolas is throwing bullpens, and he's ready to rock and roll. This is a guy that we've talked about a lot, and you've kind of started to sway me on him. The more you've talked about him, it's made me dig in on him more. And a lot of it's just because of where he's getting drafted. Now he's moving up in drafts like we talked about with ADPs. He's moved up from 320 to 284, and that's going to keep climbing once we start drafting again in June. But uh, he should still be around you know, 200 to 220, I'd imagine, and, and is that a guy you're looking to, to grab to kind of stabilize your uh, rotation? Yeah, it depends. I mean, he's moved up quite a bit. I think he's going around where he was pre-injury, and certainly there's more risk now than there was before. So if he keeps on moving up, I'm not I'm not quite sure. I do think that he's a pretty – like one thing that I'm always worried about later in drafts is guys just destroying your whip, right? Um, and he's a guy who just doesn't walk anybody. Uh, even with he's when he's struggling, he limits the damage at least a little bit because he's not uh, walking guys. I mentioned this last week, so I won't uh, I won't repeat it. But you know he really improved in the second half last year, um, and 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 so I think it was just a little bit of him adjusting to that ball. He gives up a lot of contact, new ball. He was able to pitch well, and even if you give him what he got last year with that very bad uh, first half. You're looking at a 416 ERA, 122 whip, and 184 innings. You know, the 144 strikeouts isn't great, but again, um, the volume is is decent enough. So uh, I, I like him, but if you were to ask me, you know, to choose between Mikolas and, say, Rich Hill, since they're going in pretty similar uh, situations, I would probably go with uh, with Hill in that particular instance, just because... I think the ERA and the whip when they pitch will be similar. I would expect Hills to be a little bit better even. Um, and so, you know, I feel comfortable enough kind of getting some, some hitting on potentially some guys later on in drafts where I'd go, I'd chase that upside with Hill a little bit more than the stability of Mikolas, but a lot of it depends on what your rotation looks like at that point uh, and what you need. So um, still, still he's, yeah, I think he's, he's solid where he's going right now. Yeah, I guess the biggest thing that started to get me to pay attention to him more is the second half or late season adjustments you were talking about before. And it made a lot of sense when looking at it. And he started messing with his pitch mix a bit. And if that's something he can keep up, I'm more excited about him. Would I still want Rich Hill in a heartbeat? Like, I am a big Rich Hill fan. I'm probably going to end up dying on that hill this year, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, uh, Dying on the that I, mountain, Baba. Yeah, Big D Mountain. That's going to be a mountain that most of us don't want to die on, but I might. Um, but with, with Mikolas, it, it's like like you said, when you get that ratio deal, he's kind of like a different version of Kyle Hendricks like you're talking about. There's a lot to like about that. And at the same time, if like you have a, big, a bunch of big strikeout guys already, Mikolas kind of stabilizes things. And on a year where it's going to be a sprint and uh, you know a couple starts can really screw you over if you have a guy that, that keeps ratios intact, that could be a big helper on your rotation. 
So it's a guy that I'm, I'm starting to slowly look at more. I guess the more time we have to just wait for a season, it's going to make me like guys I never liked before. We'll see if it's good or bad. I don't know. But uh, Mikolas is definitely slowly intriguing to me. Not a must pick at all, but intriguing. The Reds, and, and, yeah. And, and, and on that pitch mix, I mean, his sinker usage was at the end of last season was its lowest um, that it had been all year long, really since the middle of 2018. Uh, the slider usage was elevated towards the end of last year and really his best, um, you know, strikeout output over a 15 game rolling average uh, in his career, at least. Yeah. In his entire career. Cause we're not going to count 2014 cause he was, he was, he's still better than that, but th- that this was his highest rolling uh, K percentage over that, over a 15 game period towards the end of last year. So he was definitely, improving the the weakest part of his game and, and improving overall. So just wanted to highlight kind of that pitch mix change that you mentioned. And another thing, and we'll talk about it more next week when we talk more, more like divisional stuff for, I wanted to save something for next week with that. So we'll do that more, but guys like Hill and, and Mikolas, when they're going to be stuck in the central and that's going to be a big plus Hill even more so because he's going to get extra games against the Tigers and the Royals and whatnot. Mikolas will still get them a little bit, not to mention the Pirates, and you don't you get to avoid those teams out west or or back east, which is going to be huge for some of these central pitchers. So that could elevate things a bit as well. Uh, let's go Cincinnati Reds sticking in the central here. A couple guys that uh, one I know we both really really like. Another guy I've really been really torn on, haven't had any shares of. But Nick Senzel, who a lot of people like, especially in the prospect world, he had a shoulder injury. He's healthy and ready to roll. Eugenio Suarez was a really sketchy, weird pool shoulder injury situation. Really odd deal, but he was getting healthier in spring training, and now he's ready to roll. Like, things are good with Eugenio. Shoulder injuries are always scary when it comes to power, but it appears they're both good. Suarez coming off like a 49 home run season last year. That's a big plus. Senzel, he can play all over the diamond. They want to find ways for him to play. It's just a crowded outfield and whatnot. I'm still out on Senzel. He's going to pick 206, which isn't bad. Suarez is at 79, a little more interesting. I kind of like Moncado over a Suarez, but I, I'm a big Suarez fan. What's your take on these two Reds? Yeah, for Suarez, I just um, – I want to I wanna love him, uh, but I just – I can't necessarily – I think last year was obviously a career year, and not to say that he's not he's not good. He's very good. Playing in Cincinnati, Cincinnati is certainly helpful. Um but I just think the batting average is a little bit too much of a, of a risk. Um, and there's no speed as well. So early on, you know, uh, you know, the, the shoulder injury is healed. Yes. But I, it still gives me a little bit of concern. The fact that that it is a shoulder and that could linger. And then I look at some of the third basemen, like, you know, Josh Donaldson or Eugenio Suarez, I might like Donaldson a little bit more. Um, you know, if I were to compare those two, um, but you know, I think he's definitely dropped, you know, from earlier on this year. So people who are drafting him now are getting a little bit of a of an added bonus. And those people who drafted him uh, way back there are are happy, happy owners heading into the year. No doubt about it. Uh, let's go to the Oakland A's. Uh, we've talked Lazardo moving up ADPs. We've talked about Julio Rice is an interesting name. Another young arm is AJ Puck, and he had the shoulder discomfort. He's been throwing bullpens. He's throwing simulated innings. He's They're all reporting that he's going to be in a starting rotation to start the year alongside Lazardo, which is music to a lot of people's ears. And A.J. Puck's going well after pick 200 right now. He's an interesting, interesting dilemma 
where he's going, he's going around the same area as, say, a Alex Wood, maybe a little before Alex Wood right now. I'm intrigued by an A.J. Puck if you want to take a gamble on him. Not a must for me at all, but it's intriguing. What's your take on A.J. Puck? Yeah, I mean, it's it's so tough. I feel like I'm going to just be um... – I'm going to need to do a lot of research in the 200s because I feel like there are so many guys that are going around similar ADPs that are super intriguing. Uh, Puck obviously being one of them. I think you put out a poll today. Um, I don't know if you wanted to highlight that, Bubba. No, that's fine. I'll pull up the results while you talk. Okay, cool. Um, so you put out a poll today just comparing like from a value perspective, who do, who would folks like more? Um, Urias, who's at like ADP of 124, I think. Yep. And then Lazardo at 88 and Puck at 230, I think. Yep. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's just interesting, very similar. I mean, I think about, um, you know, Puck could be incredibly good. At the same time, I'm thinking about Puck versus, yeah, like an Alex Wood, maybe a more established guy, a guy who's pitching in the West, which I kind of, I'm kind of pro West at this point in time, the way that, that my, my um, rudimentary mind is thinking about things. But so I just think it's a matter of who, who you want to target at this particular point. Puck has a, an immense amount of potential. I mean, I think, am I, am I wrong in saying this? Tell me, I'm wrong, tell me if I'm wrong in saying this, but I feel like Puck was a, a higher rated prospect heading into um, – into was it 2018 when he had the to, T, Tommy John or was that last year? That's probably last it, year. It was 20. He, he it was 2018. He had TJ because he came out of the bullpen towards the end of last year. Yeah, but yeah, you are yeah. you are correct. Um, yeah, man. Puck, Puck was highly heralded. They both were, but Puck was the guy. They were both in uh, Modesto to mm. start. It was in 17 or 18. I saw a Lazardo pitch against the Giants in San Jose, but they were both there and they were taking turns. One was opening, one was coming in after him, and then they flip flopped the following day. They were taking both, like these were their one A's and one B's. But he was mm-hmm. like the like what you're saying basically, and I'll let you get back to it. Is and that's part of my poll is everyone was is clamoring for Lazardo when it was like maybe 18 months ago where Puck was ahead of Lazardo. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting when I looked at the numbers. But as you were, no, absolutely. And so it's just you know the situation, especially with the news you know today that. Sounds like California is going to open up ballparks in time for what would be a new season. And God, Bubba, I need, I need, I need the season to start. My mind yeah. is, my mind is losing its. Not that it was sharp to begin with, but God, it's losing a little bit of its of its sharpness as we, as we just kind of roll roll on through this. Um, I've, I'm watching too much Ozark. Ozark is taking up too much of my brain. No such know? thing as too much Ozark. No, Marty. I, no, I Marty. just finished. I had just finished season three, so. Oh, I'm in good shape. I did start Last Dance, though. I did start the last. Dance. I'm not there yet. My mom even texted me and told me I need to start watching it. And that tells no, me that's, no. that's bad when my mom's telling me this. Yeah, I mean, it's just such a for for those of us who like grew up watching that. Yeah. Like when that was like, you know, I was I was what like 12, 13 when they won their first championship, mm-hmm. and just you just remember all of those plays, you know, like yeah. you've forgotten them, but every time you're just reminded. So. It's definitely a nice little trip down memory lane gets you, get to get you fired up. But back to from transitioning from Michael Jordan back to AJ Puck. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't long ago that he was kind of maybe the more heralded, um, the more heralded prospect. He's obviously really he could be really good. The projections like him a lot. I mean, the bat has him as a 358 ERA with a 122 WHIP. 
ATC 409 and 129, which from a, a pitcher where you're drafting him there at more than a K per inning um, is a pretty strong return. So it's just a matter of how long they get, let him go into, into starts. It's a great situation in Oakland Coliseum. It's a great defense behind him. So I think there's a lot of things to like, and he could be one of those guys that just um, really is, is a, is a league winner. Um, I'm not quite at that point where I'm willing to take him some over some of the other guys that are going at this juncture. But as we get closer to the season and I dive a little bit deeper, we see a little bit of a, of the modified spring training in June, hopefully. Um, then I think, you know, I'll have a better sense, but he's certainly incredibly intriguing. And I think of all those guys that you mentioned in the poll, he could easily be the one that I am most interested in. Yeah. That's why I put the poll out there is because like we were saying is Puck was once, if not equal to a kind of a head Lizardo in the talk, which made things interesting. The, the way they're spaced around, it's almost like to me, they're all very similar pitchers and like three years from now when they're hopefully healthy and pitching without any limitations, I could see these guys all being very similar. And then that's why it's very interesting to see the different values. Um, Lazardo at pick 88, Urias at 124, Puckett at 230. Out of the 250 votes so far, and we're still time to vote if you guys want to go vote. Um, Lazardo's getting 30%, Julio Urias 50, and Puck 20. And a couple of things I took out of that is I'm with you, or you know, if you're going to take very similar choices and they're all risky in their own rights, give me the cheap guy at Puck. Like I'll go mm-hmm. there all day long. So, 20% doing that means he might be around for us. So that's good. Um, and the other thing is, I don't know about you, but, you know, everywhere it seems like we turn right now, it seems like everyone is on Jesus Lazardo. Everyone wants Jesus Lazardo. He keeps climbing up boards. Like, I know he's good. Don't get me wrong. But seeing this, 50% want Julio Urias. And that kind of stood out to me because mm-hmm. I agree. I If I'm picking between Lazardo and Urias, I want Urias. And it, it surprised me just because of all the Lazardo buzz. I figured he'd be the one leading this poll, and he's not. So it was, it's interesting, and and these are you know these are just for fun and, and interesting kind of to see what people do. They're not the end all be all, but I was kind of interested to see Urias over Lazardo and Puck like that. So we'll see how it keeps going. All right, uh, last bit of news here. We talked about him a few weeks ago when news came out of the Los Angeles Angels. Some more recent news came out with Griffin Canning. He is uh, free flowing now uh, on the on the side. He's pitching bullpens. He's good to go. And it's weird because it seemed like he was close to Tommy John surgery. They didn't want in the surgery. They rehabbed it. Knock on wood, he's fine now. Shouldn't have really any, any limitations. And everybody was – he was one of the kind of up-and-coming breakout guys before the injury, Toby. Now we're back to, you know, Griffin Canning could be good to go. And he's going around pick 337 right now. Any interest in Griffin Canning? Not really, but I really like how you called him you, that you said he was free flowing. It made me think of free falling by Tom Petty. And I just, I have it going through my brain right now, you know? It's um, a great song. Yeah, it, it is. It is. A, it's a, it's an awesome song. Uh, the shoulder stuff just uh, worries me too much. Shoulder or elbow at this point in time? Was it, was it elbow? I thought it was elbow. I thought they was close to having Tommy John, but it could be wrong. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. Again, uh, me not not on my uh, on my sharpest game, but yeah, I just think like his season ended last year um, because of it. Okay, look, it says Canning elbow has been ramping up intensity and volume. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think the elbow last year ended his season. Um, he had an abbreviated abbreviated season as a result. 
Uh, it cut off his spring training as well. I mean, that's a little bit too many flags. And obviously the cost is falling. I have him as an ADP of 337 at this point. And, but still, I think there are guys who are a little bit more interesting to me going at that spot. Like you look at some players going around there, Kyle Gibson. You know, I think I trust Kyle Gibson a little bit more than I do Canning. Um, you know, Canning, I think, has a higher ceiling at this point in his career. But Kyle Gibson, I kind of know what what I'm going to get. And the Rangers have been able to do some interesting things with pit- pitchers recently. And he's got the pitch mix that, you know, with the right approach, he might be able to take a step forward. You know, you got Travis Shaw going right around there. You got Kyle Seeger, who's a guy I, I, I like a lot. Even, um, yeah, so I just think that there's a lot of, there's there's too many other players that I'm still interested at this point in drafts where I'm probably not going to take a stab at canning that could obviously change as we get more news, but you know, two, two, two injuries to his elbow that were big enough to cut us cut both seasons. um, Theoretically short, I think are, are, is too much for me. So I would stay away from him. Yeah, It's tough. Like you mentioned, Kyle Gibson, uh, there's Samarja for the Samarja lovers out there. I think Rick, Ooh, Pasella, there, do those still exist other than Justin Mason? Yeah, I think he, I think he keeps dragging <laughs> a few along. I think, I think, I think yeah. if you write, if you work over at FWFB, you have to like uh-huh. draft them one in every five drafts or something. I mean, it's <laughs> policy to keep them on the ADP charts. Um, Rick Porcello is a guy I was in on if, with this whole Eastern only thing. I'm not as happy, but I know he's a good innings eater. So that's going to be interesting for me to, to, to delve in on some more. Um, and then like after that, you have your boy, uh, Turnbull. He, he's yeah. down there. That's a guy I know you're big on. You'd much rather have him probably there. And then just some, like Animal Sanchez is introduced a reliable, boring guy, Marco Gonzalez later on. So yeah, there's, there's a few others that I'd rather take the chance on than, than uh, canning right now. It's, it'll be interesting because someone will, once they start seeing him throw in spring training and they see him maybe, you know, throwing with decent velocity or something, his value is going to skyrocket because he was one of the popular names before he got hurt. All right, let's talk some universal DH. Uh, we'll talk some benefactors. Uh, we're going to give five each. And I made up, I think I have a couple. We share two. I couldn't not put them on there. So that's fine. But uh, we'll have some fun with this. And then we'll talk about some guys that just benefit in general on the back end of the lineups. But uh, we'll go five each on the Universal DH, who we feel benefits the most. And again, I've said it many times, others have too. There's a lot of ways to look at the Universal DH besides just the player that's going to be the DH because it's going to open up all kinds of things to these National League lineups. So, Toby, who is one of your uh, universal DH benefactors? Yeah, I really like the the impact that it has on Will Myers. Uh, Will Myers is still young. It feels like he's been around forever. He's still 29. Um, he still has the speed. Um, he still has the power. I think last year we saw a massive drop in contact rate. I mean, uh, an 8% drop in contact, which at the age of 29, it, it just stands out like, it just stands out in his, in his profile. When you look at it, it just came out of nowhere and he improved that contact rate as the season progressed. And so I think he, um, he was starting to write what went wrong early on in the season. And if he's playing every day uh, without the wear and tear of playing, you know, playing in the outfield, then I, we saw how good he was playing first base. I mean, he was just, uh, those were his best seasons probably. And so for that reason, I really just love the power speed combo that you're going to get from him. You know, in a lot of ways, a lot of the guys that are going around here, you're kind of hoping for a Will Myers like season from like an Ian Happ or a Sam Hilliard, somebody like that. 
you know, Will Myers has already done that. He's still relatively in his prime. He's going to hit in the middle of a, of a decent Padres lineup. So for that reason, I think Will Myers is the guy that I have um, as my first uh, beneficiary of the universal DH and a guy who I'm a little disappointed in myself because when he was going later in drafts, I think I might have one or two shares, but, but, but not too much. And I'm a little disappointed in myself for not kind of taking the risk and going after him on the earlier drafts. Yeah. Uh, I had Will Myers later on, so I'll just talk about him now as well. Uh, I'm a big fan of Will Myers for people that listen to me enough. They know the kind of guys I like are guys that contribute a little bit of everywhere. And that's what Will Myers does. Like you're saying, He's going to show you power. He's going to get you speed. If he's hitting in the middle of that order, or at least sixth or so in that order, it's going to be a much more improved batting order with the San Diego Padres. So I like that quite a bit. Uh, the average, I feel, will bounce back this year. He's usually around a 250-ish guy, give or take, down to 239 last year, but he saw that 7% increase in strikeout rate, which uh, really hampered things because his BABIP was the highest it's ever been. So he just wasn't putting the ball in play enough. That's just plain and simple what was taking place there. He didn't take advantage of the bouncy ball, which is very, very frustrating. But uh, everything else pretty much lines up with close to what Will Myers has done in years past. He still had 18 homers and 16 stolen bases, even though he only had 239. So that's pretty darn solid. Outside of 2018, he's played 155 games in three out of four seasons. So that's very strong as well. He's going to be on the field and producing. So I'm with you on Will Myers. It was, it was getting kind of sketchy on where he was going to play. Every day, they felt like they needed to trade him. They needed to do this, that, and the other. Well, now they have a home for Will Myers. So if uh, they give him that shot, which they should, there's no reason they shouldn't. With the amount of money they're paying him, uh, he should be a very, very nice benefactor to the DH. So I like Will Myers quite a bit with you on that one. Uh, fun, fun fact of trivia, Bubba. Yes. Last year, I had Will Myers on both of my main event teams and my TGFBI team. Oh man! So he's he's one of your yeah. Imagine if he hits for average. <laughs> God, you, you you would want all. Imagine the money. if he'd actually been good last year. I could have once, you know. Well, I give you I give you credit for going back to the well. Then that's good. Yeah, I know. Well, at at two fifty versus like eighty five, where we're going last year, I feel better about taking that risk. But uh, yeah, that's understandable. Uh, who's your second guy? Uh, my second guy is a guy who will soon be joining your San Francisco Giants. Heck yeah, he will be. Yeah, Woo-hoo. he will. Uh, Yasiel Puig. Uh, obviously, my major concern with Puig recently has just been where is he going to play? You know, the outfield situation and seems to be relatively resolved. And obviously, there are going to be injuries in spring training. I think that's actually something that was super interesting can't remember who it was who it was that mentioned it on Twitter, but I saw a tweet just about how there's been a lot more injuries than normal in the in the KBO already. A lot of like leg injuries, hamstring injuries. Now, obviously, a small sample size, so we're not sure whether that's going to continue. But if that's a result of you know kind of the expedited timeline, the change in timeline from what players are used to, then that's going to free up some outfield situations. That tangent aside, like. You know, Puig now should be able to find a home. It looks like he may sign with the Giants. And while um, Oracle Park, AT&T, Pac-Bell, whatever it's called, um, isn't a great place for uh, for power, it's not terrible for right-handed hitters. And so I don't think he'll suffer as much. And they're also bringing in the fences um, in kind of left center, which I think should benefit um, him as well. And so... It's not the the most ideal situation, but I think he'll get a chance to play every day. He'll get a chance to steal in that lineup. 
And I don't see why in 600 plate appearances, he can't do another 25, 15 season like he's done the last couple. Yeah. Puig was on my list as well. Um, I've, I was really, really happy with the idea of him joining the Giants and then playing in Arizona every game. I was really happy with that one. I still don't mind it in San Francisco, like you were saying. Righty power is still very strong there. He's shown it wearing blue before. He could find those bleachers just fine. <laughs> that is not an issue with Puig. But um, we'll see if he can find the new clubhouse. That might be a little challenging for him. <laughs> but uh, the, the thing that he does is he's got that power-speed combo going around pick 223 right now in, a, uh, in FBC. If he does sign and get that job – He's around a pick 150 type guy. And I've been saying if you're drafting early or doing best balls or doing something right now, don't be scared to take a chance on Puig. It's the gamble we're taking. Uh, 23 or more homers in three straight years, 15 or more steals in three straight years, hitting over 260 um, in four straight years. Like, dude is very, very good. I, I got no problem with a guy like Yasiel Puig. Even for a guy that's as, as goofy as he is, you'd, you'd imagine, you know, he seems like he's pretty free swinging and stuff. He had a 22% K rate last year, but prior to that, um, basically 20% or less for three straight seasons. He's very disciplined at the plate, good on base percentage. Uh, and there's not much not to like about Puig's offensive skills. He's just more of a knucklehead, and it's just a matter of can he keep it together in between the years. And uh, I like him getting the DH job. I like him to get you the power speed that we're looking for. I like him better than Will Myers, but uh, right now Myers has a job. Puig doesn't, so that's the big difference for me. But both very strong candidates with the designated hitter. Now we have three guys that are different. So who is your third Ooh, guy? This is going to be big. I don't, um, not like, I don't not like your guys. We <laughs> have three different guys. Of course. Of course. Um, so I'm with number three. Yeah. And I tried to, to, to change this up a little bit in the sense that like, I mean, the first two are kind of straightforward, but I tried to go with guys who maybe are a little less on the radar. I mean, everybody's on everybody's radar at this point in time, right? We've been looking at the same group of players for months on end. Um, but anyways, it's not, this isn't that big out of left field, but I think Howie Kendrick is a big one. Um, both because, you know, this frees him up for more plate appearances. He's terrible defensively. And so that gives him, you know, um, that this allows him to do what he does best, which is hit. And I don't think people, well, I say that, but then it's like, you know, um, you know, if you dove, if you dove into Howie Kendrick last year was just incredible. I mean, his in-zone contact rate for the full season, 92.5% elite. His ground ball rate was down. His hard hit rate was up. You know, his barrels per plate appearance was close to 9%, which is awesome. You know, um, you look at his stat cast metrics. I mean, his stat cast page is insane, right? And so let's look at o- only the stat cast metrics that, have predictive value that are fairly sticky year to year. Exit velocity, 92nd percentile. Hard hit rate, 94th percentile. Barrel percentage, 80th percentile. So you have a guy who makes an elite amount of contact, who makes elite quality of contact as well. And now you're allowing him to focus, you know, or, or not, not, he's 36. So getting him out of the field. Um, you know, and he won't be out of the field all the time, right? He's going to come in at second base, first base when he needs to. But I just think this opens him up for so much more playing time. And the difference between him and Ryan Zimmerman, to be honest with you, is that he's still good. You know, Ryan Zimmerman is kind of on his last legs. I would not be surprised if it's a Thames-Zimmerman, you know, kind of combo at first base. And then for Howie, you know, he plays DH most of the time and then comes in and subs in at second base occasionally 
you know, for Asdrubal or Starling Castro. So I really like what it does for his playing time. And I just think he's a, he's an incredible hitter still. And now he's going to get a lot more plate appearances. Yeah, it helps him out a ton. And I think it's the reciprocating effect is it allows Castro to play pretty much every day at second, which I like quite a bit as well. So it kind of, uh, that, that, that Nats team has a ton of platoon options there. A lot of guys that could, can eat into everyone's playing time. The DH will help a ton. It should help a ton in freeing some of that up. So I'm agreeing with you on Howie Kendrick. My next guy, I'm pretty much, I think everyone could have guessed he'd be one of my five. I'm just assuming people would have guessed it by now. It's Ryan Braun. That's uh, mm-hmm. th- It makes it simple for me because one guy you're going to talk about later that helps that angle as well, which why it was Braun being able to DH helps your guy out also. So that yeah. that's where that helps a ton because he was supposed to platoon with Avi. He was supposed to maybe platoon at first base with Smoke. He's getting kind of old where the outfield or the defense is really kind of deteriorating. So a guy that can still produce time and time again at the plate, you know, 45%. Uh, hard hit rate, basically 44% for four of the last five years is still elite talent there. All of his stat cast metrics are very, very strong. Um, and, and then you just look at his overall numbers, 20 plus homers in uh, four out of the last five seasons, 17 or more in six straight seasons. Uh, he steals you double digit bags through all that time, solid batting average, uh, getting on base, producing time and time again. He's a very, very good productive hitter in a, in a, it's a weird lineup this year with Milwaukee. Still a very good lineup with Keston Hero with Avi. See how Smoke does. You got uh, Navarez, Navarez catching and a few other options there. Um, Yellick, of course. Low Kane, hopefully bouncing back. So still a pretty good offense. He'll be hitting in the middle of that offense, having to drive in runs and everything. And now you're going to get a chance to um, draft him with everyday playing time. Because as much as I love Braun, you're kind of wondering how much is he playing. Well, now he's going to pick 256 and on paper should be the full-time DH for the Milwaukee Brewers, which I think is going to be very, very strong. So Ryan Braun's a guy I love. I've always liked him. When the platoon talk started happening, it was harder for me to run to him, but now he's back in my arms. So Ryan Braun is a a, a big fan of Ryan Braun. And that's exactly where he should be, Bubba. You're (laughs) you're his number one fan. He should be in your arms. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, and you alluded to it, but my, my guy, and I, and I love Braun as well. Uh, I think, you know, obviously he's old and I think the injuries still might happen, but he contributes and he can just hit. And also like, I just love his first, his first season, that rookie season he had, I still look back at that. That was one of my finest moments, um, in fantasy baseball was, was picking him up. I think I, at this point in time, I picked him up off the waiver wire you know, and, and we, we had a, you could keep people forever in your league. So I picked this guy up and, uh, unbelievable. So anyways, uh, the next guy, uh, for me, you alluded to was Avisel Garcia. Um, I just love the situation for Avi, like with the DH coming in and Braun, I think slotting in there pretty consistently. I think there's a number of guys that go in that spot before he does. He's not terrible in the outfield. He's actually pretty fast. And I just think that the ballpark suits him a lot. You know, he has a ton of power to center, to right center. And, you know, we know that that right field in Miller Park is one of the better venues, one of the better places to hit a lefty in Miller Park. So he's going to be able to take advantage of that a lot, I think. And he definitely has that raw power. He's also a guy for me who's been improving pretty consistently, especially, you know, lowering the ground ball rate. Uh, he's been, he was at 55% in 16, 52.2% in 17, 
48.3 in 2018 and 46% in 2019. So he's lowered that launch angle in four consecutive seasons or lowered that ground ball rate in four consecutive seasons. He's hitting the ball more in the air and he's still got a lot of room to grow if he's able to lower that some more. I think the Brewers are a smart, analytically inclined organization that that I think we've seen them kind of make the best of the talent that they've been given. And so I think that they can help him just like the Rays did in kind of taking that next step, you know, where he was a 20, he was kind of quietly a 2010 guy. I think he's now in a better lineup. He's going to have more guys on base with, you know, low Kane there and Yelich there. So, you know, I, I just really like him playing every single day in that environment. I think he's going to hit a ton of home runs to right center. Um, his hard hit rate has also improved over the last five years. Every year over the last five years, he's got a high max exit velo. The barrel rate is nice. And that barrel rate could take a real jump up. Right now it's 82 second percentile. That could take a real jump up if he just lowers that ground ball rate a little bit. So I think there's a lot of things to like, and the Brewers will let him run. So um, all, all, all signs uh, pointing to, in the positive direction for Avi for me. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Avi as well, so I got no problems with that at all. I think he's going to flourish now. That's why I love it because it gives both those guys that were possibly going to platoon a little more than we liked, both like full-time playing time. And I think it's a big, big bump for Garcia and Braun. So I'm a big fan of that. Uh, my number four, and it's kind of a continue, can he stay healthy? He's basically the rich hill of hitting. Ioannis especially yeah. uh, when he's fighting wild boars, when he – probably trips and falls trying to get into his fancy cars. I don't know. But one thing I do know is even to this day, we've seen it when he does play, he hits the ball very, very hard and very, very far. And he's going around pick 350 right now. Like this is a legit 20 in a even shortened season could hit you like 25 home runs. If he plays the whole season at DH. Um, I think I said it in my article that the DH position is made for guys like Suspettis. That's what is made for guys like Ortiz when he played, uh, Matt Stairs, these guys that this, they still can hit the snot out of a baseball. They just can't play defense anymore. They're not going to steal any bags because their speed's gone. But they can literally – they'll hit for a decent average, drive in a ton of runs. Um, I got I don't have a ton to elaborate on suspense. You're basically – if he's healthy, he's a steal at 350 because he's going to DH for the Mets. Can he stay healthy? It, it's a healthy risk, but at pick 350, what do you have to lose in my opinion? Like in 12-teams leagues, he's not even really getting drafted. 15-team leagues, he's one of your last picks. Big time power upside late in your draft, and it, it's nice because usually late in your draft, the like power upside guys are usually going to kill your average. He's not going to kill your average. So I'm a Suspettis fan in that regards. I'm curious to see where things keep going because he's healthy right now. He's been taking batting practice at home. I know it's not a professional pitch, pitching, but I'm just happy to see he's healthy. If he continues to develop like that, let's roll. So pick 350 with Suspettis. I think he's going to be a big benefactor. Price tag is going to come up. Still going to be worth it in my opinion. Here's a question for you, Bubba. Are you at all worried that J.D. Davis may DH as well with the platoon of having Dominic Smith in the outfield? The J.D. Davis-Dom Smith platoon situation is very interesting. That's one that I have looked into as a potential. I just have a feeling that days – I'd be more worried about the lefty taking it from Suspettis than the righty, I guess, but mm. because cause Dom's not going to face a lefty. So it'd be when righties are on the mound, does Dom Smith DH or play the outfield and J.D. Davis sit? I don't see – that's where the platoon's still really weird to me because I don't think Dom's going to face lefties, period. Mm-hmm. So then it's a matter of, yes, does one of them DH instead of 
Suspetas versus righties, and that's where it's tough for me to see. They're still paying Suspetas a lot of money, so I think they're going to want to play him. That's where part of that goes. There's even a bigger long shot with his expanded rosters. I, I talked about him in my article, and I won't go deep at all here, but with the expanded rosters, I just mentioned like the DH is built for certain players. They have a player they invited to minor league on a minor league deal to spring training. And if they expand the rosters, Big Mayo, Matt Adams, is made to designate hit. So mm. that is a very interesting guy. I'm not saying draft him, but I wouldn't be shocked if he gets a job DH versus righties and does something. So it's going to be with all this expanded rosters. Like it'd be one thing if we just had the DH. The expanded rosters makes it even a little more complicated in certain spots. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I mean, you think about a team like, yeah, you think about a team like the Rays. I mean, oh, God, like who, who do you want to draft on the race? Because you <laughs> yeah. know they are going to try to squeeze out every ounce of value, right? Well, it's and, like I mean, the, it's Do- it's like the Dodgers. That, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the Dodgers. I mean, there's going to be a lot of teams too, I think, especially in this shortened season. You know, some of the worst teams are going to try to get, you know, kind of try to maximize value in a similar approach to the way that the Rays and the Dodgers have done it by, you know, you know, by playing platoons in every potential situation because they don't necessarily want to wear their guys out. You know, some of their young guys out, they want to give them an ex- enough exposure, but they don't want to push anybody too hard. They maybe want to raise the value of some of the guys who could net them something, you know, on the trade market. So I think that'll be really interesting. I was just curious. I don't know the answer to it, but I, I was just curious, like, whether you had heard anything specifically no, about I that outfield situation. I hadn't, but it's just even in that respect, if you want to take it one step further with these expanded rosters, like you're talking the Rays, uh, the Dodgers, like you think Jock Jams will get exposure, but Jock's still not going to face lefties. Um, so, And they have like Pollock and all those. So they're going to be platooning. It makes you think also with expanded rosters, there's going to be more later defensive substitutions, which will once again hurt J.D. Davis. So – there's maybe a reason to DH him. So you don't have to have him out there, but Suspedis isn't going to play the outfield. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a really interesting dynamic to see how this all plays out. And we're going to hopefully get a little bit of a glimpse of it in spring training to help a little bit. But with such a quick spring training, I think there's still going to be a lot of question marks. That's just going to make this season wild, absolutely wild, because it's going to feel almost like a mono league at times where you just want as many at-bats as you can get. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to be crazy. So I don't know. It's going to be weird. Absolutely. I mean, I think you see that reflected in some of the draft prices with the guys who have positional flexibility. Oh, That's no going to be critical. The, the flexibility is going to be absolutely essential. And really, yeah, like you just mentioned, targeting those plate appearances are going to be absolutely critical and being able to see the matchups that are coming out and being able to anticipate that and kind of work fab as a result of that. I think those will be be really critical. No doubt about it. Who's your fifth DH benefactor? All right. My fifth one is going to be one that I haven't heard anybody else talk about. The only other person I've heard mention it is Ray Butler. Shout out to Ray at Prospects 365 um, because we both share a love. We share a love for a lot of players, but um, we share a love for this guy. And that's Brad Miller. Um, Brad Miller of the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, I bet you didn't know which team he was on, folks. No, no you're, you're digging, Everybody you're digging deep on this one. Show. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I mean, so Brad Miller at the end of last season was absolutely phenomenal. Um, so Brad Miller at the end of last season, you know, he had the the highest rolling 40-game average contact rates pretty much in his entire career towards the last 40 games. 
He dropped his ground ball rate from a career of about 45% to 33% over his last 40 games with the Phillies. His hard hit rate, career 34%, up at 45.5%. And then over that same period of time, uh, from a stat cast metrics, his max exit velo was 113.4, which is very good. Barrels per plate appearance, 8.2%. I don't have his, his, his average exit velocity, but to sum that all up is he was raking. He was hitting the ball really, really well. He's not good defensively, so I think this actually opens up them to use his bat even more. I don't think a lot of us trust Matt Carpenter to stay healthy anymore, and I don't think he's that good. Um, in a lot of ways, I think Miller could be like a younger version of Matt Carpenter, I want to say they both bat without batting gloves too, which is kind of interesting. So maybe that is what it's going to be. But he's a lefty, so he could get the the majority side of that platoon. There's obviously guys like Tyler O'Neill who they could plug in there. Um, there's also, I don't think, uh, uh, there's Dylan Carlson as well. Uh, you know, but I just think that there's, I just think that there's an opportunity there for Miller being the right side of the platoon. Uh, they're going to need bats in that lineup. It's pretty old. There's not a lot of pop in that lineup. And I just think that Miller showed some pretty concrete adjustments, some pretty dramatic adjustments towards the end of last year, which point to me towards a guy who who was trying to make those changes. And so you're not going to have to pay up for him in drafts, but I would just kind of monitor him in spring training, you know, see if you can if you can catch any wind of what exactly he you know, what the role the Cardinals might be thinking about uh, uh, for him is. And then during the season to be the type of guy who you kind of have in the back of your mind for if there are any injuries uh, to anybody on the Cardinals, where they've also got, you know, they've got Tommy Edmonds. So regardless of where the injury happens, they have a guy who can kind of slot in and open up that spot um, for the next best best hitter. So I, I think Brad Miller could be interesting. Now, I you know, there's other guys who are more, you know, who are bred or primed, I think, to take advantage of it. So, you know, I, he's probably not actually in my top five, but he's a guy that I just wanted to highlight because I do think that he could be a surprising source of value for fantasy owners over the course of the season. Yep, it's uh, an interesting one to keep an eye on, so I'll say, because that Cardinals situation is uh, very messy. So someone's going to come out on top there, and he was crushing it towards the end of last year. I do remember that one very clearly. So something to definitely monitor there. Uh, mine will be my fifth one will be Mr. Austin Riley going about pick three twelve. This is a guy that everyone was looking to get regular at bats, and he uh, he came on the scene last year and was crushing the baseball. Then he struggled because he struck out over thirty six percent of the time. He just couldn't uh, work on that strikeout rate, and that wasn't he, he has a high strikeout rate in the minors, but not thirty six percent. His BABIP was lower than it's usually in the minors. But the power was there. The power is legit, and the power has been there his whole career. So this is a guy that was competing with Yoan Camargo for the starting third baseman job. Camargo was going to get it because better defense. Um, I think they were looking for a better average. But now with the DH, welcome Austin Riley. I think that's a very interesting spot for him. It also gets um, – he can play the outfield if they want to you know, get NCRT out of the way or do something like that. There's options now for Riley that they weren't – necessarily finding out the gate so uh, it seems like an easy one maybe people will flock to austin riley i think that's another great late power source that the doors just opened up for with the atlanta braves 
One thing on that, I think um, that kind of reminded me when you were talking about the fact that he could move around and maybe get dual position eligibility for Riley is that I, I think it's an added benefit of a guy like a Howie Kendrick who, um, who does have dual position eligibility, like having a guy who can DH and also has dual position eligibility could be incredibly valuable for your team. So if Riley ends up being third base outfield eligible, like that is just a really, really nice combination to have, to have a guy who can, you know, hit theoretically well enough to be the DH, but then also has that dual position eligibility. So you can really move him around as well. Um, you know, I, I just think that that is something that is really intriguing for some of these DH only type guys. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, let's go over our uh, top three benefactors of the back end of the lineup and, when I went through all the National League teams, you could make arguments for a lot of players. So it's actually quite interesting to look at these guys that might benefit. And something you mentioned last week or the week before that it opens the door for some guys that would normally have the pitcher behind them, making things very tough to be productive, definitely changes things up. So um, who's your first guy? Yeah, so I'm going to go with two guys to start off with to uh, make it so that you can't do one of them. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Ahmed Rosario um, as the first one, just because, you know, we don't know where he's exactly he's going to bat in the lineup, but he has batted towards, he has hit towards the end of the lineup for the Mets in the past. And I think he's lost some stolen bases because of the pitcher batting in that particular situation. And so I think this kind of clears away any of the concerns that I had about his stolen bases, obviously you wish he was a little bit better at stealing bases, but he's fast. They've given him the green light in the past. And I, and I think hopefully he can learn and get a little bit better. He can't get, he can't get that much worse. Um, so I like Rosario a lot. I think there's a, a lot of things to like about just his profile, his improvement year to year, the fact he's still young. Um, but this kind of eliminates that one last bit of hesitancy for me in terms of, kind of being in all in it on, on Rosario, especially where he's going, you know, um, where is he? He's like 120. Am I, am I right about that? I got him right here. There's he so many, is, 136. Uh, yeah. Dropping. Man, so he's dropping. I mean, I just love that. Again, this was mentioned before, but like a comp, like a Tim Anderson probably has more power than he does. Um, you know, Rosario may have the tools to have a better batting average than Tim Anderson might. So I think they're close enough. And the fact that Rosario is going this much further and now you're taking away kind of that last, um, that last concern for me makes him a huge value. So maybe I'll just own Tim Anderson and Ahmed Rosario everywhere. Yeah, I got no problem with Rosario. I drafted him last, I had him in a lot of spots last year when he was basically free or not even drafted in some leagues. I'm a big fan of what he's doing. Still super young. He's shown improvements every year. So I like that one quite a bit. I'm going to do one that uh, people are going to get really annoyed with, but I have to mention him because he's projected to hit seventh for the Atlanta Braves, and his name's Danzy Swanson. <laughs> I'm just going to say, like, everyone says one of the – we've said it on the show. One of the big bugaboos is him batting at the bottom of the order. If he was hitting towards the top of the order, it would be tremendous. Well, things might change a little bit here. If you insert a DH and he, he moves down to the eighth spot or he moves stays at seven or whatever and has a better power hitter before, behind him, whatever, it's going to change things quite a bit for him. Because maybe maybe all of a sudden with the DH, they bat him ninth. Then you have him and Acuna back-to-back. This could make things really interesting with Danzig Swanson. And I, I think it might, if, if it was possible, it could 
make him even more valuable, especially for a guy going around pick 251. Um, I'm still a big Swanson fan, so I thought that stood out to be interesting to me as a guy that one of the big things we frowned upon could change tremendously. Absolutely. Yeah, this is the Dansby Swanson podcast with uh, <laughs> Bubba and the Batflip. Uh, yeah, no, I think, I think absolutely it's, it's, um, yeah, we can't mention him enough. I don't think either. No, I do think he's not at all. He's a, he's an absolute value. Um, the next guy on my list is, uh, is Victor Robles. Um, I'm going with kind of like the, the two guys, the two examples that, that are, that are fairly clear, but you know, Robles again, one of the major concerns being, you know, he's batting, seventh or eighth in the lineup for the nationals and the fact that they may, that may limit some of the opportunities he has to steal with the pitcher. You know, you remove that now. And, um, you know, I think it's just huge, uh, potentially for, for, for his value in the stolen, in the stolen base department. And so I'm running an analysis right now, um, as we speak, trying to figure out if, if there was a major difference in his stolen base rate, um, yeah, so look at this. So when he was batting seventh and eighth, he had 13 stolen bases last year in um, in 348 plate appearances. Now, I'm not great at math, but I do have a calculator in front of me. And so 13 divided by 348 equals... So his stolen bases per plate appearance was 3.7% last year when he was batting seventh or eighth in the lineup. Compare that with 10 stolen bases in 164 plate appearances in any other spot in the lineup. And that's a 6.1% stolen bases per plate appearance. So nearly doubling his number of stolen bases per plate appearance when he's outside of seven and eight. Now, the reason why he wasn't stealing wasn't because he was batting seventh and eighth, right? It was because... Um, the pitcher was batting ninth, and so you eliminate that. And I like I like Victor Robles. I liked him ahead of time. I had him as a value, even going where he was going in like the mid fifties before this drop of his, this unexplainable drop of his. But I like him even more now with the universal DH, and I wouldn't be surprised if I had him in a bunch of places. God, his ADP is seventy, Bubba. Yep, people like him a lot. And I don't blame them. I've been a Victor I, fan last year. Like I'm, I'm a, I love Victor Robles. I'm actually surprised he's going that high after most people slander him for his lack of hard hit and elevation and all those things that people talk about, lack of barrels. And yet he's still going pick 70. Those people just don't appreciate him. You know, no, that's what I've always said. Yeah, um, my, my, my fun comment to people that, that clown on Robles, I said, I always say, you know, Soto might be better, but. Remember, Soto never would have got called up if Robles wasn't hurt. <laughs> Juan Soto Remember would that. never be who he is today without Victor yes. Robles. He might still be in AAA for all we know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Robles is down 10 picks from where he was in middle of February. So he's fallen uh, a little bit, and I would love to have him. He's falling just so you can catch him. Just so I can catch him. I mean, let's say like... So let's do something uh, tricky here. So that's 18 stolen bases and 300 plate appearances. If you keep up that, if you maintain that same rate he had, that's really um, good. which, you know, is, would be a massive number for, I mean, that's the equivalent of 35 stolen bases. Yep. Um, 
36 stolen bases. My math is good. Um, so yeah, I just, I just love the impact that this has on him. I actually think he might be one of the biggest winners of, in all of this. It, it's huge. Uh, I know on baseball HQ they they did their video for their, their new um, 100 game projections. They already said that they're going to go do an 82 gamer once it's official, but they're not going to do it until it's official. And uh, I listened to the hundred gamer over the weekend and Victor Robles was a, even on the schedule, just based on a stolen base upside for a hundred games was a $22 player. So that tells you how valuable he is. Oh my God, Bubba. I was totally going to forget about it, but like, you're absolutely right. And with the schedule in the NL East, yep, like it's gold. It's gold. I was going to talk about that one with John Birdie, but it had totally slipped my mind. I mean, that is absolute gold. All three of the guys I'm going to talk about are all NL East guys, and they are all going to be going up against. Well, Rosario does can't play against his own team, but like yeah, every Mets can't single hold anybody on. <laughs> totally. I mean, the Mets are garbage. The Braves are. I mean, like Travis the Mets are the worst. Node, really, really. <laughs> What's that? Travis Day Arnold, really? <laughs> I mean, yeah, the Braves are going to be bad. The Nats are bad at catching runners. Um, I don't know how the Marlins are. The Phillies, I don't know how they are. They're probably pretty good because JT Realmuto is the best player ever. But, um, yeah, I mean, that is a huge – I think that's a huge change in kind of the way the, the schedule is formatted is these teams that can take advantage of the Mets. That actually may be a reason to really give Juan Soto a bump. Yep. Because I, are they playing three series? Is that what they are? It's like the rumor. The rumor. The rumor is it's something. I guess it'd be three or so. It's like two thirds of your season is against if you're in the NL East versus the NL East. The other thirds versus the AL East. Type. Okay. So two thirds of your game is like three, 60, 60 games or so. Two. So yeah. So like fifty five games yeah. divided by four. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, about three series. Masamano. Yeah, three three long series. Um. Yeah, I mean, I just think that, that that could be really critical from a stolen base perspective. Um, yeah, anyways. All right, my number two, and this one is interesting because I think the platoon might disappear with the DH. Then again, I just got done saying the Dodgers are a mess, but Gavin Lux, who was going to bat eighth, opens the door a lot for me with Gavin Lux now with uh, no pitcher hitting behind him. I think there's, he's been free-falling in, in his ADP over of late. He's down to 176. He's gone as low as 233 uh, lately. The talent is very, very legit with one Gavin Lux. He's, he brings a little bit of speed, definitely brings some power with you. Um, across three levels last year, he hit 28 home runs and stole 12 bases. So we've seen him double-digit steals, double-digit homers the last few years. Hits for a very, very good average. Um I think the kid is outstandingly talented batting eighth for the Dodgers and the platoon was a scary spot. And I, I didn't want to draft him. I know James Anderson might be one of the biggest Gavin Lux supporters I've heard or talked to. And if he's saying the things he says about Lux, I believe them because he's one of the best prospect guys out there. So the idea of Gavin Lux now, maybe not platooning as much and definitely not, um, having to have the pitcher hit behind him is a tremendous advantage. Now that lineup gets even scarier when, you know, it's six, seven, eight Seager, Will Smith, Gavin Lux, potentially, or maybe Lux bats ninth and he loops it around with Betts, Muncie, Turner, Bellinger. That doesn't suck either. So um, it's going to be really interesting. Gavin Lux getting a bump in that regards. Still got to pay attention to the potential platoon. That's going to be interesting, but I have a feeling this might open up some more time for Lux who can also, 
move around the diamond a little bit, not a ton, but a little bit, and maybe stay on the field. I think they're going to want to utilize that youth on an older team, let the older guys rest, let Gavin Lux play some more. I think he benefits from this quite a bit. So I like Gavin Lux even more now. I think he's a pretty nice value at 176. Definitely. Who's yeah, it's going to be really interesting. If he gets those at-bats, um, he could be he could be really good. Most definitely. Who's your number three? Uh, my number three is John Birdie. Um, I think Birdie, I kind of I kind of pulled a fast one here because I, I had six guys I wanted to talk about mm-hmm. as benefi- beneficiaries of the, the universal DH. Um, but Birdie is also a guy, I think, with Jonathan VR now um, on the Marlins. I think Birdie is likely to hit towards the back end of the lineup now as opposed to the top end of the lineup. And he's got, he's incredibly versatile. You know, he's got shortstop, third base eligibility and outfield eligibility. So he's a guy that you can move in and out. This get, the DH gives him an opportunity to be in the lineup, you know, I, I don't know, five out of seven games a week, something like that. Um, and if you can time those right, especially in the NL East, I mean, gosh, just draft him to start him against the Mets. Because uh, you know the rate that Marlins will do that. I mean, last year, I, I remember he had four stolen bases against Syndergaard, I think, uh, in the last week of the season. And I remember that because I had him on my main event team. Um, Yeah, so I I just think that he could be a really valuable player and the type of guy who's really nice to have in an NFBC-style format because you can plug him into uh, shortstop, third base, corner infield, uh, middle infield, outfield. So he's the type of guy where, where he allows you to be a little bit more flexible with the rest of your um, with the rest of your bench, obviously you want to maximize value on a week to week basis, but he gives you that flexibility to know that you have at least one guy who can get you some plate appearances if one of your other guys goes down. And then if you see a, a lineup that you like ahead of you, you know, coming up like the Mets, like really any of the NL East opponents that he's going to face, uh, except for maybe the Phillies, then you just kind of pl- plug him, um, plug him into the lineup. So Birdie's a guy that I think kind of, um, does that and then hitting at the back of the lineup, he will still get the green light. He won't have to worry about getting bunted over by the pitcher. He should be able to thrive towards the back end of the lineup. You know, maybe the plate appearances will be a little bit of an issue, but I think we're still playing nine inning games. So he may lose some plate appearances as a result of that. But I think it gives you the confidence that even if he gets pushed to the back of that, that lineup with, with Jonathan VR at the top of it, that he's still going to be able to steal some bases, which I think is critical. Yep. It does help birdie a lot. Quite, That's your boy. So you can uh, get those stolen bases late in the draft. Nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, my third guy, and I had a couple extras too, but my third that I decided to choose from is a guy that I've been a lot. And that's Scott Kingery. Uh, he's supposed mm-hmm. to projected about seventh for the Phils. Already has third base outfit eligibility. He's supposed to start the season at second base for the Phillies. I really like the power speed uh, and batting average upside of Scott Kingery and a loaded Philadelphia Phillies lineup going to pick 150. Going to start the season, like I said, at second base. You just add that eligibility there. He's going to be able to play all over the diamond. Um, They have Segura playing third. He can play third. He can go to the outfield. Say McCutcheon's not ready or needs extra times off. Uh, Adam Hazley's in the outfield. There's definitely spots there for Kingery to move around and get some more playing time. So, I like him quite a bit with the Phillies to be uh, productive and become that guy that they paid a couple years ago to play every day and actually show up this year and get it done. I have him in a lot of spots, so that's why I decided to use him as my third one. 
to justify it to the listeners that uh, I'm still all in on Scott Kingery, no matter batting seventh for the Phillies. I think it helps a lot having the DH in that lineup. And he's right. also he's also probably going to get that the second base added to the third base and outfield as well. Yeah, that's so I, that's going to be massive. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I I must have missed that in my other research. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's, that. that's that's embarrassing, Bubba. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I'll give you a chance here. Quick hitters. What are the other guys you had on your list? Quick hitters, other guys on my list. I don't have anybody else on my list. Oh, I thought you said you had six I mean, guys. That's why I, was... <laughs> I, I No, no, no. I had six guys I wanted to talk about at, uh, for the benefactors, but I switched them over. I would say like Billy Hamilton. Um, Billy Hamilton is somebody who's like, God, I do not want to draft Billy Hamilton. But in looking at the lineups that we have currently to available to us on ro- roster resource, um, you know, he's bad in eighth. Uh, it's awful, but his ADP is 360. If you can plug him in in the right scenarios, that could be okay. What do you think? That's um, interesting. I was going with uh, Mauricio Dubon with the Giants. Oh, gets gets yeah. a massive bump. That, that, that's where I am. I, Billy Hamilton's interesting. I just, I guess, be a lot of moving and shaking in that outfield. I, I, I think Dubon is a better, better pick than me. I'm I'm a little discombobulated with these headphones, to be honest with you, Bubba. I just want to apologize to all the listeners. I feel like I have like this giant thing on my head, and my ears hurt, and I can't hear my own voice. This will never happen again. <laughs> yeah, I do Bond and Tommy Edmund as my other two, but mm. uh, those were the ones that stood out in that respect. Uh, let's do a few listener questions, and we'll wrap her up. We got this one a couple days ago from Matt Olson at Moles Ten. He says, question for the pod, in keeper leagues, with years and contracts, how do you handle a 21 draft if the 20 season is canceled or gets canceled before half the modified season completes? Do you roll the 20 drafted teams, the 2020 drafted teams into 2021 and do not draft for 21 with the same keeper options, or do you do something different? Um, I think this is a hard one. Uh, I mean, for me, I think you, I think you just, I think you have to decide before the season starts, like that, what, what the answer is going to be. And for me, it would just be to cancel the season. I think like, that's actually one of the things that I like struggle with, with NFBC is like, what are they going to do if the season is canceled middle of the season? Like, does does it just end when the season is canceled or do they agree that before the season it's got to be a full 82 games? Because like rolling it over just like there's just so much that changes year to year, you know, not just players ages, where players are playing. It's just too, I think it's just too messy. So I think you just got to cancel the season. I think you just have to make that determination ahead of time and say like, if we don't get to, if we don't get to the full 82 games, then the season is null and void something. I don't yeah, know, what do you I, think? I, I'm with you there. It's especially in a keeper dynasty type format. No matter what, when you start 2021, you need to have your new fresh set. You can't be going with what you had saved up from the year before. So however that t- takes place, I think you need to change things up and go from there. And I'm assuming that means just having some, like you said, have something in place where you cancel it out ahead of time 
or there's a, some kind of standard in there that they have to play X amount of games the whole season, preferably something along those lines to uh, to finalize it all. Be 100% on board with you in that scenario. Mm-hmm. All right. The next question we have here is, man, I think he's scrolling. Um, from Eric Samolski, Samski NYC. Let's talk universal DH. Who does it make more relevant in most leagues, which we kind of talked about already. So, Eric. We did. Nailed uh, it. Fast re- rewind and do it again. <laughs> it is it is there. So that's why I, I said, yes, that is actually on the show. So it'll be perfect. Um, our buddy Yancey. Yancey Eaton, of course. Those that don't know Yancey, I don't know what you're doing in life. You're doing it wrong. But um, <sighs> can you guys each give us one or two Desert Island jukebox albums? Basically, one or two albums that you listen to over and over again for the rest of your lives. What is an album or two for you, Toby? Um, so this is a really hard one. I thought about this one for a long time. Um, I would have to say, uh, album number one, I'm just trying to figure out, it's hard to identify my favorite Towns Van Zandt album, I'm a big Towns Van Zandt fan. Um, I like a lot of albums. The one that I've listened to the most is his self-titled album, but it's short. It's relatively short and it doesn't have some of my favorite songs. So I would probably go with um, Towns Van Zandt Live at the Old Quarter. It's a two-disc uh, album, uh, which, I, which I only know because it's really long. I only listen to it really on Spotify. I don't even think I own it. I don't know how many albums I actually own. Um, but uh, that would be my number one. I would go with Towns Van Zandt Live at the Old Quarter. Uh, it's alive. It's live. It's got some of his great songs that I just, I absolutely love. If I needed you to live is to fly. Uh, so, so many great, uh, great songs. There's a lot of ones I could choose from, but I'll, I'll go with that one right there. What's you, what's your first one? I won't, I won't ruin I'm, I, well, my second one. I thought long and hard about this is going to ruin the podcast. So oh, no. uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go with number one. Uh, my first one is I've told everybody I, I listen to all genres of music. People think like that's a cop out, but I really do. Like when I explained it to Yancey on the, the one podcast, is like he's like, oh, okay, you actually do. Um, it's just I hit and miss on what I like, so I can I can enjoy whatever. But my number one, and it, it was tough for me in the respect that Metallica is my favorite fan. I can listen to Metallica pretty much any time because some people think you have to be like loud and angry to listen to them, but I just appreciate the like way they can play instruments. I've gone to many other shows and I love them live because they'll just riff for like six minutes without singing. And it's just amazing to watch them play the instruments they play. But, um, and I, I get more of a kick out of that than just like their singing type stuff. But um, I guess for me, it was tough because like Masters of Puppets, a great album, but I think I would go with the black album. And that's really tough for me. It was, it was between those two and I can't take both of them to desert island. I have to pick a different album. So I'm going to take the Metallica Black album, and that would be one that I could sit and listen to on the beach time and time again. It's so hard to choose the albums of like your favorite artists, you know? It is. And like, because you all... like so many songs. Oh, totally. Well, that's one of the things. It's kind of funny. I was, it was almost like I would, I wanted to choose the best of Towns Van Zandt, you know, because it has a you lot did. of my, of my favorite songs on it. I was like, oh, oh it's well, okay. That my neck, my neck, but like, it's okay. My well, next one's a cop out. It's a best of album. So it's oh, okay. is it okay? Well, <laughs> yeah. maybe I'll change it to the best of Towns Van Zandt. Actually, there was a there was a documentary that was done about him um, called "Be Here to Love Me," and that and the soundtrack for that one is 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 so good. I mean, if you haven't listened to Towns Van Zandt before, 
Um, it's just, uh, it's, it, he's an incredible songwriter and, and there's just a lot of emotion in his singing, which I, which I enjoy thoroughly. So anyways, um, speaking of emotion, uh, when people are singing, I thought long and hard about this one, what I was going to do in number two, I think there was a lot of directions to go, but one album that I just absolutely love, uh, cover to cover that I've never really tired of is Counting Crows, August, and Everything After. I don't know if you're... Are you a Counting Crows fan? I know some of their songs. I'm not like a diehard, but I think if a couple of them come on, I, I know it's them. I, if they're not, I don't not like them. I know exactly... Okay. I'm just... It's, I don't it, know like... I don't know their deep catalog. Let's put it that way. You, you can judge me. I mean, I really only not, like it. I don't uh, judge I, music. I, I know. I'm just teasing. Um, <laughs> uh, I... I I just, every single song on August and Everything After is great. I mean, like Round Tear is the one that's kind of famous. Yep. Mr. Jones is really famous, but there's like Raining in Baltimore, which I think is 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 awesome. Um, like there's not a bad song on the entire album. And so it's actually one that I've rediscovered recently. I think somebody put out one of those like nine square things, you know? And, um, and it was on there and I started listening to it again and I've just... I just I just love every single uh, every song on there. So um I uh yeah, that's my number 2. Which, which one's songs. your best of? Uh my best of and people are going to laugh at me but the story behind this is the first album I ever had and I stole it from my father's CD collection and I took it and he always wondered where it was and it was in my room and um it's Queen's greatest hits. I just I know it sounds you know easy or boring to depend on who you like people think they're stereotypical whatever i absolutely love that the musicians and the ability of queen I, I think what they do is awesome i think the movie showcased a lot of that for people that didn't know who they were i have a lot of friends now that have seen the movie and now they're like they're diehard queen fans and it's like well welcome to the party like these guys are really really talented at what they did and still do so i would bring the queen's greatest hits album on with the, the blinking red light on the 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 the, the binder part of it and uh, that would be coming to the island with me. I'm a big, big Queens fan. I still haven't seen the movie. Oh, it's so good. It's so Is like it? it was well done. Well done. I, I saw the first like I saw the first like 15 minutes of it. I think on an on an airplane before the children interrupted interrupted me. And um, I've got to check that out. So awesome. You know, we should probably do a music podcast. We've got a pretty pretty diverse like for four albums. I mean, that's a pretty pretty diverse oh, yeah. album set right there although I can get, you are clearly have more diversity in your uh in your in your music love than i do oh yeah because i can get to 80s hip-hop uh, nwa the turn into johnny cash i can go all over the board that's why um we, we, we can play this game all day but um i do have one more question for you and oh, i thought wow. about it i thought about it when you were talking oh, about man. something earlier and it's just for fun there's nothing okay. serious behind this okay and I've seen the tweets out left and right, and I, I, I think I might have responded to it at one point in time. If you had to make a last dance 10-part type deal, oh, what yeah. subject would you want it to be? Oh, what um, what, what, uh, what, what athlete? It could be anything. What? Even if you don't want an athlete, I'm making anything. it whatever you want. If you want to make it an athlete, you can. But say oh, you want man. to see something on the Counting Just Crows or whoever. One person. What do you want? Um... I'm trying to think like this is a it's a really tough one. Ah, uh, who is like 
Oh, I don't know. It's hard to think of something that's like creative or interesting. I mean, Roberto Clemente strikes me as like an incredibly interesting athlete, somebody who was just a phenomenal human being. Um, I've seen some on Bob Dylan. I, I haven't been as fan as much of a fan recently, but certainly for like about 10 years of my life, like every single uh, Bob Dylan album I was listening to extensively. And I think he's, he's lived a absolutely fascinating life, but I've also read his, his, um, his biography before. So I don't know. I don't know. Uh, who, who's yours? Who's yours? I think in the in the realm of the the Clemente you mentioned, I think a deep dive like because when I'm picturing these, I'm not picturing like ESPN apparently did it pretty good, but I know you're not getting the full story because mm-hmm. Michael Jordan's in charge of it. Yeah. So I want like the full pull the curtains back. We're gonna get all the the good and the bad with everything. Um, I would love to see the Jackie Robinson story with mm-hmm. just how things went through all that. I think that would be amazing because we've seen movies where there's books. But I want like I want the whole thing. I want, I want it all. Um, but the one I really want. This is more me just being a fan, and I want the the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Even though I'm still a fan, I want Barry Bonds. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what I want. I want the whole thing. Like, I don't care. That he, I, I don't care that he's cheated. Like I've accepted that he cheated, but I want it all out there. Like uh, I want to see it all. He didn't and, cheat. And that's gonna be tough. Don't let them yeah. convince you he cheated. He was doing what everybody else was doing. He was the greatest ba- baseball player oh, of I the agree. time before and he started after. getting into that stuff. <laughs> and he was overshadowed by these guys who would have, I mean, they would have been fine without steroids, but they wouldn't have yeah. been, they didn't have the skill that he had. And he had yeah. that, oh my God, that swing. I mean, I watch him like the dominance, like you yep. will never see anything remotely close to the level of dominance that he had in the sport. Nope. I mean, he had a 32% walk rate in a yep. season that he had like a 7% K rate. It's wild. Like, what is that? Well, and, and just like the way you're saying how the dominance he had, it's kind of like how everyone was ooing and eyeing over the way Jordan dominated. That's what Bonds did for a while. Like if you basically, he saw one pitch to hit a game and he put it into the bay. Like that's what he did. It was ridiculous what he could do. And I agree before when he was with the pirates, the guy was amazing. He was still a 40-40 player. He was an MVP with Pittsburgh. Um, there's stories that he basically saw McGuire and Sosa doing it, and he said the only way I can keep being an MVP is by doing it. Mm-hmm. So he he did it, and that's why I, I'm not mad at him for doing it. I still He's still one of my favorite players, and I, I still have a, like jerseys of his that I wear games. Like I know some people might say, oh, that's the – you know, you ruined the game. No, that's the way the game went. You adjust with your times, like right or wrong, that's up for debate some other time. But uh, when it comes to what happened in baseball – he was still one of the best out there. So I'm with you there. Like yeah. I, I know he, he used some substance. Let's put it that way. And I'm not clueless on that respect, but um, do I take that away from him? No, not at all. He was phenomenal. Yep. He was an incredible player. I did you know, like as a person, like he was, he was surly as all hell, but man, as a player, like I, I didn't actually like him that much of a, of a, as a player. Um, you know, like my Giants days were more like the kind of Will Clark, yep. you know, Matt Williams, kind of like early, early 90s, yeah, late 80s uh, Giants were kind of more my jam. By that time, I was, I think I was probably a White Sox fan. Yeah, by that point in time, but he was absolutely incredible. Um, and I think it's just such a shame that he, that he's not in the Hall of Fame. 
Yeah, it's pretty bad. Like, like I think it was a year or two ago when they retired his number, and Willie Mays gave a huge space, a huge speech, and basically pointed at the camera and it was like directed it to the Hall of Fame voters. And if Willie Mays is saying that, I think you guys got to get off your high horse. Just throwing it out there. Just, just gonna say that. So that's something to think about. Yeah. But, I agree. All right, well, that was fun. I like the I like the non um, non fantasy baseball. Yeah, it's tough. That we it, get. Thanks, Yancy. Yes, yes, Yancy, keep coming through in big, big ways. We appreciate it. But um, that'll wrap us up for the week. You can find Toby on Twitter at BatFootCrazy. I am Matt Bediantrick. We'll be back with you guys next Monday night with more action, hopefully with news of a season in place. We're going to talk about divisions, the three divisions and the beneficiaries in that regard. But until next time, Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 38 in the books. Catch you guys later. 